Hello, everybody. Welcome to Single-Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single, coming to you live from a very disgustingly hot and humid Brooklyn. I don't like New York City in the summer. No one should live here. The city shouldn't exist, by all rights. Anyway, I'm a uh, writer and podcaster. You can check out my work at jessysingle.substack.com. Blockedandreported.org is where my podcast lives. This week, I'm actually, uh, there was a guest host filling in for me alongside Katie. So you should check that out. That episode is now available for primos, for premium subscribers. It'll be available for everyone on uh, Monday. Uh, today, I've got a little bit to talk about, but you should also feel free to jump in the queue if you have any questions or comments about anything. I've been following the discourse over Alex's war, uh, the documentary about Alex Jones, uh, with some interest. I got a screener copy of it. I watched the film. I didn't immediately hate it. Um, Jesse from Colin has a podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, I'm looking at the chat. Easily distracted. So I didn't immediately hate it. I definitely did not think it went hard at Alex Jones or really questioned his lies. What nudged me further against it was a podcast called Knowledge Fight, which is two guys who are just obsessed with Alex Jones, and they have 700 episodes, and they just sort of um, obsessively follow everything he says and respond to it. They're basically Alex Jones experts. And they did an episode about the podcast. And what I found very convincing about their critique, and that I don't think there's a good answer for, is the way the documentary let Alex Jones tell whatever story about himself and his biography he wanted with no pushback. So, um, wait, there's an enable video button? I'm not doing video ever on here. Is that a, okay? I, again, I'm much too distracted by the chat. I need to just ignore it uh, when I. You'll tell me about the video. You're first in the queue anyway, Neil. Um, I don't buy every critique of like, oh, you framed Alex Jones in this from this particular angle and you played this music over him. That means you like him. I think there's some value in understanding what a bad person. I don't use that term lightly. I think Alex Jones qualify if we're going to give anyone agency. He's a really bad person. I think there's value in understanding why bad people do what they do, what motivates them, how they're able to manipulate others. Um, they actually mention not by name uh, this documentary that is called, um, I think, The Act of Killing, where they uh, went, this filmmaker befriended all these folks who were part of a anti-communist purge in uh, Indonesia and got them to come back to the locations where they murdered people in cold blood for being accused of being communists and filmed it almost like an action movie and just showed how these guys glorified these horrific acts they committed. And something like that is uh, very uncomfortable to watch, but you're actually, it, it, it is useful in Alex's war, they just they let Alex do whatever he wants and say whatever he wants. For example, he says that he left Texas, um, the town he was born in, and moved to Austin because he like got in fights. He has this whole mythology about how he left town because he had uncovered the cops basically participating in a drug ring. And he had to leave before the cops killed him or some shit. Just this crazy theory, uh, story, that makes him look like a brave truth teller that doesn't appear to have any actual evidence behind it, uh, as far as anyone can tell. So, in in the documentary, he gives a much milder version of that, with nothing about discovering a drug ring the cops are doing, because as the host of this documentary um, podcast, Knowledge Wars, point out, that sounds crazy, and he's trying to use this documentary 
documentary to reach a different and sort of more mainstream audience. I don't think Alex Lee Moyer, the filmmaker, had an obligation to like constantly call Alex Jones a liar or call him out on everything. I do think you have some documentary, um, some uh, responsibility if you're dealing with someone who lies and who is trying to change their story to be familiar with that story and to challenge him and to say, huh, that's different from aspects of your biography you've said previously. Why is that? How can you account for that? And I think something similar, frankly, and I wrote about this, happened with Glenn Greenwald interviewing Alex Jones on stage at a, at a launch event for the documentary in Austin. There's just no pushback against Alex, who's presenting a very like, well, I've made some mistakes, but I'm right about 90% of stuff version of himself. And I I think there are very few figures who are in this category where you have specific responsibilities to not let them you know, tell lies because most people don't lie like this. But I, I think Jones is in that category. And I think the shit he's done is so awful. And I think some of the people excited about this documentary are falling into a trap where just because they are disillusioned with ma- either the mainstream media or mainstream politics, they're doing this very crude enemy of my enemy is my friend thing. Where because Alex Jones also rants about the mainstream media and claims to hate it, they're letting him sell them a pretty fucked up bill of goods. Um, so I can talk about that more if people want, but I'll take Neil for now. What's up, Neil? Neil, how's it going? Okay, sorry. When I tried to click unmute, the screen popped up again, and it was like it was like enable microphone, enable video, and I was just trying to click enable microphone. It just doesn't do anything. So you click X, and then you can click unmute, and it works. I don't know. I'm on Android in case. I don't know. Yeah, the Android um, is a little bit broken. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know much about Alex Jones to be honest. Like he's like so like far past the like whatever like reasonable thing that I can like just ignore it. I don't know if the, I guess it's bad because he's so like m- like mainstream isn't the right word, but like so so many people like know about him that I guess you should like know someone about him. But so I wasn't gonna like ask about that. But um, I I wanted to first give an update on the one seven C's thing I mentioned a long time ago. The one manga where they changed it so it was like a trans girl instead of a just a feminine boy but they but they like the backlash was so strong that they they apologized and they they're gonna fix it but but i wanted to talk about how the the apology specifically is like it's like very like mushy right it's like the subject matter in this book is delicate and we took every effort to keep the language respectful and inclusive however after discussing the matter with the rights holders we realized that our edition differs in certain details from the author's intent and it's like it's like very like it's like, yeah, it's, it's not just certain details. It's a huge detail. And it's like, it's like, why wouldn't you have this discussion before this whole blow up? I don't know. So it's very, uh, it's a very like pathetic, uh, uh, statement, I think anyway, but that was just, the I, that was again? a question. My, oh, oh, sorry. The name is, I think I turned my childhood friend into a girl and it was being, it's being published <laughs> gotcha. by seven seas. Okay. And so what's interesting about the title actually is that the, that's not the Japanese title. They didn't translate it. It's, it's a, like a made up title. It's not completely made up as it's actually more similar to the original webcomic title before the manga was serialized. But anyway, that's a standard. Um, what I actually wanted to ask you about was the, this, the horrible stuff you have to experience on Twitter where these people just like lie about you. And you just it, it's just like I, I, I dealt with something similar where these people lied about me and it's just like so awful. But then what, what are your thoughts on people being like the, the guilt by association thing where, where you have like mutual friends, right? who are friends with the people who are lying about you, is it is it fair to then be like, like, to then like cut off the friends and be like, well, like, and to, to hold them responsible for still being friends with the people who are lying about you? 
I, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, online is different from real life. I, I don't really spend expend much effort trying to control who people like DM with or follow on Twitter. I, I find that a little creepy. I think in real life, you know, your friends should stand up for you and they shouldn't allow someone else to try to scheme against you or, you know, may, uh, tell lies about you. I think loyalty is pretty important. I... I have such a dearth of drama in real life among my real life friends that like stuff like this doesn't come up. Also, as you get older, there's just people settle down. But uh, no, I think like I think your friend should be upset on your behalf if someone else is lying about you. Is this mostly online or is it real life friends? Well, it's like I mean, it's online, but like it was like close friends, like close online yeah. friends. So it was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I wonder if that distinction is going to be different for, like, younger people. Like, like I'm, like, 20. I'm a zo- total Zoomer, where the distinction between, like, online and, like, IRL friends is, like, kind of... It's kind of it, like, uh, shaming your online friends, right, for not being on the same level. I wonder if that distinction is going to fade. Yeah, yeah, no, I, that's a good point. I've In the last five years, I think I've... Especially as I've gotten more of a Twitter presence, I have definitely have more and more... I just got lunch today with someone I've mo- only met twice in person because she lives in the UK, um, and I know her from Twitter. She's a fellow journalist. So, yes, that is, I think that's much more normal than it used to be to have just, like, close friends, but online friends, including ones you haven't really met in real life. So, um, yeah, that's a fair point. What, yeah, what, are they lying, what are they lying about about you? Oh, it's – I mean, it's I – don't, I don't really want to get into it. It's, like, okay. pretty, like, ridiculous stuff. And it's, like, it's like I literally have the screenshots that, that prove them wrong, and, and then the person is, like, yeah, but I don't want to take a side. You know, I wasn't there. It's, like – like wh- what do you mean I- i'm like showing you like the proof that they're lying about I mean, it's yeah. Like, yeah i, I think a lot of people are just like, like conflict averse i can it- it's very frustrating but i can sort of yeah. understand where they're coming from anyway anyway i i hope these people stop lying about you thank you uh, yeah anyway that's all i'd say i'm doing fine i'm lucky that uh stuff's working out for me but i appreciate the call and the uh good wishes thank you neil justin what is up uh, hey there, Jesse. Hope I'm coming through. You are coming through great. Yep. Great. Um, oh, well, first of all, uh, glad you're feeling better. It seemed like you uh, you you got the bug and uh, we're up for a little bit. Thank you. Yeah, feeling much better now. Great. Um, yeah. So uh, I actually wanted to ask you about Tavistock, but before that, um, maybe just a, a thing I wanted to share about the Alex Jones stuff. Sure. Um, so. I haven't seen the, the the documentary nor the interview with Greenwald, but I did read your article on it. And um, obviously I know who Alex Jones is, not a big fan. Um, I, I find a lot of the criticism that is actually worthwhile, including the stuff that you've generated, which I pretty much agree with your article. Uh, it seems like it applies to just so much more than Alex Jones in terms of how you should approach topics or figures when they may not be telling the truth. Like in my opinion, documentary filmmaking has been in the, in the toilet for years because it does this kind of one-sided, we're only going to report like part of the story uh, type storytelling that really does take away a lot of the value from it. But to me, this seems like more the norm than some exception that's being trotted out here for Alex Jones, but everybody is up in arms about the way that it's been done for Alex Jones. Yeah, I think there's a lot. I mean, I'm not as familiar with the documentary world as you are, it sounds like. But yeah, I think there's a lot of hagiography and a lot of like documentaries that have a very clear point of view and don't explore alternate perspectives. I just, I think 
Jones is just really in a very rare tier of figure where you need to be much more intentional um, and careful about how you do it. I mean, people were uh, Alex Lee Moyer said she was inspired by a famous sort of cinema verite film about Bob Dylan. And I think for a figure like Bob Dylan, where, you know, he's a musical lesson, he's also a complicated human who has flaws. I don't have as much of a problem with just following him around as a camera and seeing what pops out with someone like Jones, whose entire raised in debt is to manipulate and lie to people. Uh, he's going to use your own camera as a weapon. And I think you need to account for that. Um, now, I get where you're saying that this is probably a broader problem within documentary filmmaking in general. I guess I'm just saying this is like a um, a more severe incarnation of that problem, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, and that's how I, I picture your, your article uh, on it as, as taking it. So I totally understand there. Um, I, so I did want to ask you about the Tavistock Clinic uh, being closed down. Uh, to me, that's a win. I'm curious if you would see it that way, especially given, you know, some of your thoughts on, you know, um, legislative attempts to ban some forms of basically what was going on in the Tavistock Clinic. Uh, when this seems to basically be that, though, I think just without very good grounding, because they, you know, they clearly did their work here. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I don't think it is that. So I think my sense is kids will now be divided between these two other clinics and the the policies are just going to be different and there's going to be more of a focus on mental health support and more of a focus on taking a holistic view of a kid and not letting gender concerns dominate the diagnostic picture. So I think, I think it's like depressing and sad news that things at Tavistock were so off the rails and I'm actually, I have to file a column about this today for the spectator, but um, I, I, I think it's good news and I, I, I wouldn't compare it to a band because a band just means kids can't get blockers or hormones, which I think, in light of the available evidence, which is very mixed and fuzzy, it's still too heavy-handed. I'd much rather have this be an individualized decision you know, between every kid and their family and clinicians, and it sounds like um, things are headed that way within the NHS. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. Yep. Um, uh, glad. And, and I was actually kind of surprised you hadn't written about it yet, though I know it's not super new news, but it just seems so directly in your wheelhouse. But glad yeah, I honestly hadn't. I hadn't looked closely enough at like the interim cast report. I would encourage anyone who follows this issue to look up what Hillary Cass wrote her interim report. It's just she writes in a very calm. She's exactly sorry. I'm having an issue where it's muting. There are some issues with the software that can be frustrating. Um, Cass writes in a very careful way as someone in her position should, but it's clear there were just awful problems at Tavistock and these kids were not getting good care. So, um, yeah, folks should read that if they're interested. It's very readable. You know, it's 50 pages, but not a lot of text and very clearly written. So, um, thank you for the call, Justin. Those are good questions. Thank you, Jesse. Tara, what is up? Uh, hi. Yes. Uh, so I have, this is my first time using the app. Um, I've been logged on for a while, but I've never used it. So uh, I'm just learning this. Sorry if there's any confusion. But so I have a question just about kind of the Jack Turbin stuff yeah. going on this week. Yeah. And so my question is, is, you know, I've been following him and his research for a couple of years now. And I've always been very, um, you know, disappointed by it, I think is the best word. And disappointed that it gets so 
far reaching, um, especially considering like, you know, he's using data sets that are just cannot make the conclusions he describes. And I'm just, it seems to me that more people right now are responding in a skeptical way to that, but I'm not sure if that's just my confirmation bias. And like, so I'm just curious about your perspective of, is he getting more heat now than he has before? Um, sorry, I'm seeing my mic just toggling on and off. If you have any trouble hearing me, let me know. I think it seems like this is an inflection point because uh, late yesterday or early t- – I think late yesterday, a group of like very, for lack of a better word, woke clinicians of his colleagues uh, who – not like at his institution, but across the country, got together and they wrote a response basically saying his entire approach was invalid. And they pointed out just, he didn't even correctly, he and his team didn't even correctly state the number of states they were drawing data from. It was like eight states total clustered in the Northeast. Maryland, 60% of the trans kids in the sample came from Maryland. It it it, it was unbelievable, the stuff um, they pointed out. And they argued that it's just a completely invalid analysis. Like, I think this level of badness, you're approaching, I, I, I don't say this lightly, but you're approaching the level where maybe the paper should be retracted. So this does seem different. There had been a huge amount of um, unhappiness with Turbin, both among people who are a little bit skeptical of youth gender medicine, like I am, uh, and quietly among some of his colleagues who would never bash him on the record, but who really just think he's a sloppy actor who doesn't make their field look good. So based on the fact that some like very progressive uh, researchers are now publicly coming out and saying this paper is no good. I think you're right that it, that it marks an inflection point. Okay, great. Thank you for that clarification because I, and thank you for that context too, because one thing that's really disappointed me is that the journals take these articles. Um, I don't know what's going on at pediatrics that they publish this. It's so crazy. And I'll, I'll have a piece up about it hopefully later today, but you're right that I don't, I didn't mean to talk over you, but it's just, it's insane to me. Oh, you muted again. Oh, I was just saying, I didn't, I didn't mean to talk over you, but it's just, it, it's insane to me. These journals take these papers and publish them. Yeah. I mean, just even his paper on detransition rates with using the USTS. Um, I just, I don't understand how that could be accepted either, but uh, thank you so much for answering my question. Thank you for the call, Tara. Uh, Eli. What is up, Eli? Uh, hey. Hi. Um, I hope you can hear me. I can. Um, oh, good. So I wanted to say three things. I have them written up. One, um, I was horrified uh, on the because on the last podcast, you and Katie asked whether Mozart wrote operas, which was <laughs> a horrifying. It was not our best moment. It was not our best moment. No, I was. And I was wondering whether you need a culture consultant because sometimes you have... You know, for French, you know, anti-gay slurs or whether one of the most <laughs> prominent opera composers wrote operas. Yeah, not I, I, I would never claim to be to have a wide ranging field of knowledge. But that was pretty embarrassing, given that the fact that Mozart wrote operas has clearly um, trickled down to most people's pop culture. So, yes, yeah. that was an embarrassing blooper moment. OK, uh, my second question is, I have an idea for. Uh, a guest on the show. I don't think it will work out, but you know, uh, there's a guy called David Bell. Uh, he's a whistleblower. 
I mean, at Tavistock, yeah. Yeah, he was he was the one of the whistleblowers at the Tavistock Gender Clinic, uh, and he seems fun. Also, he's a psychoanalyst, so Katie can berate him, like really ask him. I remember that episode where she was like, "How do we know? Like, why? Why is why is the unconscious a thing?" So, <laughs> like that. So, so she can ask him, like, "What's up with that?" One second. That could be interesting. And the last thing um, I want to say about the. Uh, Jack, Jack Turbin study. Uh, I don't do STEM or that, but even I, uh, my question is, so even if you accept like the results he found is holy writ, right? This yep. one survey, this one thing and two random years and whatever, why does the rate of trans identification going down means like w- whatever you think of the social contagion thing, couldn't it just mean that the rate just went down? Yeah, the point I make in, in my write-up that's getting copy-edited now-ish is exactly that. So what I basically say is, like, even if you take... I I think it's ridiculous to suggest the rate of teenage trans identification went down between 2017-2019, even if you don't. The rate in clinics has been skyrocketing for years, and it's predominantly female. So you can't just ignore all this clinical data. It could be that, hypothetically, if you believe in ROGD which maybe you shouldn't, maybe you should. It, it could be that kids who are affected by it are the kids who most want to transition physically versus a lot of other kids who are just sort of dabbling in different identities. In that case, you could have a situation where there's fewer kids who identify as trans overall, but there's more seeking transition at clinics. So it's I, I the entire premise of the article made no sense, and that's even before you realize that the statistics are completely meaningless. So uh, swing yeah. and a miss. Even I believed you, even I could find fault with that. And I'm in the humanities. Yeah. Like, this is that. So, uh, anyway, so, um, I, I, uh, by the way, I was, we missed you on the podcast today. You were not, something was missing, as you said. You were not there. <laughs> I think, uh, I think Helen did a pretty good job. I was glad we got I a voice sure. on there. Yeah. Okay. So, thank you very much. Feel well. Thank you, Eli. Patrick, what is up? Hey, Jesse. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How far along in Elden Ring are you now? Uh, level 50. Stalled out slightly. I'm trying to beat... Oh, God. What's her name? Uh, the, her first phase, she has all these creepy scholars like crawling on the ground, shooting oh. fire at you. Uh, Renala the Full Moon Witch. Renala the Full Moon Witch, yes. I'm uh, only like two or three attempts in. She's, she's pretty tough. She seems beatable, so I'm confident I'll get through. You'll get through her eventually. Yeah. Uh, glad you made it through the Academy. Um, so... My question is on Alex Jones. Uh, so I read the article that you did about uh, Glenn Greenwald basically softballing him, which is exactly what he did. But I think my question is, is though, can you even hardball someone like Alex Jones where I, I don't think he's actually a real person in the sense of the fact that what he's doing is a shtick. Like, yeah. I kind of take the Tim Dillon uh, Red Scare approach where he's not actually like a journalist. He's basically an avant-garde artist where his whole thing is this kind of parody. It's basically in the kind of art bell vein. And I, I realize what he's saying is harmful because he lied about uh, the Sandy Hook victims, but that's the kind of thing about avant-garde art. If you're doing something that affects other people, there's a kind of redress for it. But that still doesn't make him what he's not doing isn't art. And I think there's a question about whether or not his art is good or not. I don't particularly find it enjoyable, but I guess other people do. And the kind of nihilist kind of vein but can you really i mean if you're trying to hardball him with questions aren't you just buying into uh his whole kind of art thing 
Well, yeah, I mean, look, I think the best answer here is don't interview him, but I, I think it's a, maybe a little bit of a cop-out to say it's art because if he's an art... First of all, he's, I think, an undeniably brilliant performer who has roped in a lot of people, and I can understand when I watch him acting crazy why a certain type of person would be into that. Um, but if he's an artist, he's an artist who sells himself and supplements to people on the basis of empirical claims about the world and who controls the country and stuff. So I think you can't really then sidestep questions about whether what you're saying is true, especially like after something like the Sandy Hook catastrophe. I guess I guess maybe it's like it doesn't really matter definitionally if he's a journalist or an artist because at the end of the day he's making claims about the world and trying to get people to buy his stuff as a result. I guess I understand that, but I mean, a lot of people make empirical claims about the world. The whole thing of astrology and psychic are basically saying that there are outside forces beyond our understanding and only I can do them. Pay me $50 and I can give you a reading. Yeah. But seem to be more okay with that versus him. And I think part of that is because he has a much bigger platform than other people. Well, I was going to say if there was a psych, well, there probably have been some psychics about, I would I would want to hardball Miss Cleo too. Like you know anyone as with as big a platform as Jones, I think should be uh, aggressively challenged on their on their stuff. But I think for like the Miss Cleo thing, though, I guess probably we uh, looking into it. There are people who kind of lost a lot of money towards that, though. But we kind of view that as a reckless diversion as opposed to like an assault on kind of like freedoms like no no i don't think anybody would have a problem of platforming miss cleo as opposed to alex jones well i think the difference is if if miss cleo uh said your dead relative told me this person is scheming against you and then gave their information and like turned people against other individuals or or you know libeled people basically it would be a different situation um so i just think what jones does is is basically unique there's no one quite like him and uh but if the answer is you just shouldn't you shouldn't uh interview him or maybe he's one of the few people where like quote-unquote platforming concerns really do apply i'd accept that i just think if you're gonna i don't see the point what's what are you trying to get out of it if you interview him well i think that's the kind of point like for glenn's interview of him it was a q a for a movie so calling i guess glenn's into question a little bit that feels more like something you're kind of doing like for a buck for like kind of a friend type thing it doesn't really feel like i don't know maybe glenn just likes him because of the kind of anti-establishment thing yeah he expects that as an artist but i don't know it's just it's it's treating it's basically treating it's treating a magician as a magician instead of like Uh, is just lying to a crowd. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess I would try to point him on like, if I, I'm not an interviewer or a journalist, but I would kind of point him on the fact that like he breaks character and like he like kind of pointing it out. Like I, I just don't see how anyone realistically thinks he, he doesn't really seem like the god fearing type, but he constantly cl- claims talk about demons, and I feel like that's pri- primarily due to his audience being more on the right Christian side. Yeah. I mean, he he's from uh, yeah no um, yeah I get what you're saying I I, I just uh, I got to think more about the artist things I'm not sure about that but um those are, those are good questions I appreciate the call Patrick all right thanks Jesse but Taylor what's up 
Oh my God, I'm talking to Jason Single. Very exciting. Oh my God. All right, all right. So I have a question, right? So normally I don't, well, let me, okay, you have to cut me off here. I'm calling from Texas, a long time listener, first time caller. I skipped that part. Um, so normally I only hear about my internet drama from, from you and Katie, right? And so yes. are you going to cover the Anna Mardall, Lockheed Martin stuff? Is that coming up? Because if not, I have questions. But if I no, we are. I um, I had to. I was editing that episode when it was time to do this, and then when I hang up this, I will hopefully finish editing it, and it should be up tomorrow. It won't be up before tomorrow, but it should be up tomorrow. It's a premium episode though, so primos only. Excellent. I'm all about that. I was. I'm still mad about y'all turning on the uh, the comments for non primos on the primo episodes. Um. <laughs> well, they can't comment. They can just read them. But yes, they can read. Them. But it was my safe space, sir. <laughs> uh, but okay, so the question was: so I caught kind of a little bit of it. Like I get, like she, you know, she was kind of doing the the uh, what was her name the the uh, the natives uh, woman where she it was a fake account. And she worked at Lockheed Martin, right? And I well, I, we don't know what. So he so they Anna does use he pronouns, which I'll try to respect. We don't know exactly what's fake. We know he tried to raise money despite seeming to live pretty comfortably in a big house in Texas, actually, and. You know, having a apparently a ten to fifteen hour a week job for Lockheed Martin that gave him health care. So, a lot of the criticism is yes, the the grifting component of it. Sorry to talk over you. Oh no no no, that's that's fantastic. I didn't. Sorry about the pronoun thing. Anyone was offended. No, that's fine. But the it almost seemed like there was so much invective based on. Do you think there was? It was just about the the grift and having a good job. Do you think there was? Do you think part of the anger about it was this works for the military industrial war machine? I think that that how much of the how much of the invective was driven by that? Do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. I think with most online bullshit, it is driven. There's the surface level. Here's why we're mad, and then the actual thing animating it is like a fountain of filth beneath that with something more petty and personal. So, I'm sure some people have like principled objections to Anna's choice of employment, but it's more that he made many enemies for years with a very shrill and immature style of criticism where everything's harmful, everything's triggering, no one's allowed to say or write anything that Anna finds offensive, which is an ever-growing set. So I think it was just like Anna had sort of been pissing off so many people for so long that people saw an opening and they pounced. Okay. Yeah, I was I was trying to decide how much of that was was damn damn the man in the war, and how much was the, the more the traditional kind of stuff? I, I don't, I don't, I think every almost everyone involved in this is is socioeconomically privileged because that's who get, has the time to spend this much time doing Twitter bullshit. It would not shock me if half the people criticizing Anna have someone in their immediate circle who does something at least as bad as ten hours of work for Lockheed Martin. And that's just that I don't have anything to prove that. I just think people are huge hypocrites about this. That would be interesting to find out. That'd be good to social studies. Uh, yeah. Thank, but if, if you're going to talk about it at length in an episode, I'm going to let that go. Just thank you for talking to me. Um, I'm never going to watch this phone again, sir. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for uh, calling in, Taylor. We're going to go A and then Schnarf, and then I'm going to have to call it uh, to get back to editing. Hey, Jesse. How are you keeping? I hope you're feeling better after your uh, recent illness. Yeah, I'm totally fine. Thank you. My prayers, my prayers worked, so uh, ah, I just wanted to... I just wanted to uh, chat to you a little bit about um, the uh, American like right at the moment and the mainstream of the American like right wing movement. And I just have started to think quite recently that like they've become like really extreme 
um, in terms of being like a very liberal party now. They seem to have just like lost faith in democracy, lost faith in the legitimacy of democratic elections, and now just want to like rig the system so that they can maintain power going forward when they get it again. Um, but also like they seem to like um, have like really uh, kind of gone towards like a like uh, Victor Orban style of politics, you know, the Hungarian leader, like he seems to be like a real celebrated figure on the American. He's a hero to many of them. Yeah, Yeah. he's a hero. Like you see him on Tucker Carlson, but also like they had the CPAC recently in Hungary. And now I think he's been invited to be one of the keynote speakers at the CPAC in the States. And I just think like it really show, or it really is concerning to me because it seems like they're going to get power again at the midterms and probably the next presidential election. And I just think uh, think that now, like they've decided that they're playing for keeps for now on, and they're just like they, they view the other party as on the other side as so illegitimate and so like enemies to the country, trying to destroy the country. That it's reasonable to do, you know, all, all to, to take any means to, yeah. to prevent them from taking power again. It's kind of a Machiavellian strategy, and I just think it's actually really, really concerning now because I don't see any capacity them to self-correct at the moment because they're all rhinos if you say like if you criticize anything you know any of the approaches they're taking at the moment or like criticize the you know the big lie that kind of stuff like you're just a rhino basically and they want you out of the party so i just wanted to know whether what what you think about it and whether you think it's like a, a, as much of a cause for concern as some people think it is at the moment yeah i i mean i i think it's an obvious cause for concern i think a lot of this has been going on for a long time and and trump really unleashed stuff that had more or less always been there. I'll always think of like during the 2008 race, John McCain, who I disagreed with on a lot of stuff politically, but I didn't think he was like personally a monster. He, he had a woman at one of his town halls say Obama was a Muslim and McCain had to be like, no, he's not. There's always been this really conspiratorial segment of the Republican base that believes a lot of stuff that isn't true and, and is very reactionary. And, um, there's always always there's also always been like the suit wearing think tank types who sort of run ran the Republican Party and and had different views on things like free trade, which they were in favor of while the base was against it. And there was genuine conflict there that I think was sort of glossed over. And I think we're now at a point where the populists have won and, and I'm I'm pretty nervous about it. But we also we did just go through four years of, of Trump running the country and, and we survived and so I don't I don't know where it's headed. I'm very worried about like the possibility of them trying to steal an election again. I mean, they're to do that. I'm just not sure. I think just because we we got through the Trump years intact as a country, and because there was so much pushback, including from people who worked with Trump, I do think there's certain guardrails in place. But I'm I'm with you that um, there's. Uh, the right obviously has a huge liberalism problem of its own, and it drives me crazy when people pretend like it's just the left that has a problem there. The right is is pretty different because you don't really see Democrats like kowtowing to dictators and looking up to them. It's just something. It's just different, and it's hard to explain the differences, but they're important. Yeah, well, I think there are big differences at the moment, especially because I think like now what I see is like the mainstream of the Democrats are starting to push back on the extreme. Uh, and like, there is a bit of a correction going on, I think in terms of like the, the, the woke. Yeah. There's no, the there's president. no, there's no equivalent moderating force that has any sway within the Republican party at all. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And so the only way that I see that this actually being corrected is that like, they do take power again. I think they will, but that they don't 
take such power that they, you know, uh, that they can hold on to power forever more. Like that, they, that there will be contestable elections going forward, but that they've actually become so extreme that I think the only way really is for the Democrats to moderate and attract the center back towards them and to just hockey them in some elections until the point where they're forced to correct. But until that happens, I don't see them getting any better because they've lost all ability by the looks of things to, to self-correct. Like they were, do you remember that like uh, essay that that guy released before the 2016 election about like the flight 93 election? Like, yeah. well now, now they're basically, I think like the flight 93 party and like every election is the flight 93 election. And they just view it in such existential terms that they just will not, play fair anymore basically and it's, it's a real real concern i think because what happens in america as well it's exported all over the world be more and more people of all different countries uh you know contesting elections as false and rigged and america doesn't have the authority anymore to kind of uh to to litigate or to like referee these things like they used to be able to do um so i just think it's it's really bad for obviously america but the whole the whole globe really like yeah, dude. I look. I I think we vastly overstated the like relative strength of sort of you know liberal multiculturalism or whatever you want to call uh, our ideology. If I can be so bold, I I think right wing populism is a very serious threat. And um, you know, I hope people don't mistake the fact that I do sometimes focus on stuff going on to the left because I do think you can have more influence on your own tribe. That doesn't mean that I, I don't think there's incredibly disturbing stuff going on on the right or that I'm about to turn toward a Republican party that's gone completely off the rails. So um, anyway, that was a good call. I appreciate it. The very last thing I'll say about that is that like, the, a, a, a thing that you corrected is like if you have a functioning left, they should be able to criticize the right when they're like extreme. But because the left for so long have been calling everyone Nazis, racists, etc., they're the boy who cried wolf. And now when the wolves have shown up, they don't have the power to actually... I don't know, point it out, criticize it, and like actually have people pay attention to it. It definitely makes it harder, for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Cheers uh, for that. Thank you. Schnarf, I believe a first-time caller. What is up? Schnarf, you got to unbeat yourself. Sorry about that. My app is acting crazy. Yeah, so, mine is too. Um, so I, I wanted to really talk about Alex Jones. Um, I think I think what what's happening is two things. One is the conservative uh, poster child for the the spokesman has over the years become cons- considerably stupid. Uh, it went from like having someone like William Buckley to now having Alex Jones, which is <laughs> yeah. like. It's like a significant step down, but I think it's an overall thing that affected all of our society. I think somewhere between the 1980s and until like the 2000s, we basically gave up on science, math, and technology, and that affected us in a way where we have a lot of stupid people. The other thing that I I think has happened is the death of the journalist, right? So... The journalist typically writes a piece that has opposing views and then draws a conclusion. That no longer is taking place because people are too stupid to read. And the other problem also that we, we tend to have is that the, the 
the Buckleys would have their oppo- their opposing view on their show. And now, if you watch a Tucker Carlson or or even Alex Jones, he has an echo chamber where his the same opinion is reiterated. Funny enough, I've actually heard an interview with Alex Jones and Norm Chomsky, Noam Chomsky, which blew my mind because oh, it wow. wasn't so bad. Actually, it yeah. was not bad. It was an actual good interview. So I think what happens is not that that Alex Jones doesn't have it in, in him to to be a journalist or to or to represent both sides of the story or have a conversation. I think it's more profitable if you have the echo chamber, right? Tucker Carlson, uh, Laura Ingalls, or whatever her name is, uh, even even like somebody like Anderson Cooper or or Joy Reid, like they all seem to have an echo chamber where there isn't an opposing view. It's just one view, and it just blasts through, and people can get their instant gratification for you know quote unquote knowledge or or awareness of what's taking place, and I think that is where the problem starts. The commodification of the journalist into the talk show host or I don't know what you want to call it, but a person that has a monologue with other people. Yeah, Uh, that's interesting. I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. I mean, definitely there's less and less genuine old school journalism. There's more and more opinions. Um I don't. I don't know if people are getting stupider. One of the tra- and it's funny because I actually I've been wanting to write forever an essay about idiocracy and like what I think it got right and wrong because I think I think there's more interesting critiques of it than what have been published. But I think like we probably have more college-educated, literate people than ever before. It just turns out that when people are have access to like infinite information from infinite sources. You know, they're often drawn to shiny objects that are uh, fundamentally pornographic or like epistemic junk food. So I think. Spectacles. Yeah, yeah. Spectacles or or just, you know, grifters. I mean, look, we. This this guy, Jack Turbin, came up a few times in this podcast. He's a, I believe, Harvard and Yale and Stanford educated medical doctor who just produces, I think, really shoddy research. So the issue there isn't necessarily that people are dumb per se. It's something a little bit more nuanced and, and having to do with like ideological closed mindedness. But, um, well, you don't oh, think our attention span for information is, is diminishing. And, I think it probably, I think it probably is. I think that's part of it too. Yeah. So the, the other, the other flip side of this is that if you look at like a personality, like Jordan Peterson, for example, he commodifies himself, Alex Jones commodifies himself, check out their net worth. They have merch. When you have merch, you are no longer in the business of news or journalism. You're in the business of merch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, there's becoming a brand definitely brings certain risks with it, including audience capture. So, so my question to you is, is that where's your merch? <laughs> we had merch. We had blocked and reported merch, but we stopped because it was, we were too lazy to keep up the store and it didn't make much money. So I guess we're now real journalists again because we no longer have merch. <laughs> That's my litmus test. There Thank you. Thank you for the call, Sharf. All right, guys. I got to wrap it up there because I want to get this Anna Mardal episode up. And I have a column to write about Tavistock. But thank you so much for tuning in. I'm going to try to do another one of these tomorrow because uh, then I've got some travel and other stuff going on. But um, as always, I would just ask that if you like what I'm doing here, you spread the word. Tell other people about this show and my other endeavors. Maybe I'll open a merch store for me, just photos of my face. I'm sure those would would go for a few cents. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you have a good Friday. Bye.